Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It is a fantastic, tantalizing Tuesday. That one was for Tim. I know you like your uh, alliteration there. Uh, hope everyone is having a good week so far. And we have another fun episode for you here at Off the Dome Radio. So current events. Uh, we got a couple businesses breaking up. Uh-oh. Are they still going to be friends after? We don't know yet. Uh, then we get into some RLEs. Um, I, I recap uh, our interview with Tim Roberts. There was uh, a four-word message in there that really stuck out to me. I went back and, and listened to it again that I think can be applied to not just business settings and relationships, but to all areas and relationships in your everyday life as well. And uh, we do get into some Area 51, some flying saucers. Yeah, we're talking aliens. Uh, and then finish off, uh, go back on some notes from Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Uh, your life's not an emergency. News flash. Tim, uh, what kind of rabbit holes do you take us down today? Yeah, we talk about the NCAA and their recent rule changes regarding agents and players that are entering the NBA draft. We talk about Rich Paul, we talk about LeBron, and we give our opinions. Should you need a college degree if you're an agent for an NBA, for a incoming NBA player. So we'll get into that. Uh, we talk about three strategies that I've been implementing in the morning to make me wake up better. Because I'm sure there's a lot of times where you wake up in the morning, like, man, why can't I be fresher? Why can't I be more lively going into my day? I'm going to talk about three things I've been doing that have actually been really, really effective. So we'll get into that. And then book talk, I talk about Swim with the Sharks. And we talk about a topic within that book uh, that gets into how can we communicate information to people in this world that is most effective and most helpful to them. Because there's a lot of information out there, there's a lot of people saying cool stuff, beneficial stuff, but how can you frame that in a way that's understandable for people? So we'll talk about that. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Episode 76, have a successful Tuesday. A successful, I mean, Taco Tuesday. (laughs) It's about to go down. Oh, how's the weekend, dude? It was good. Yeah? You look all gymmed out. Did you just go work out or are you about to? I'm about to. Mm. Get get my, uh, this podcast session is my pre-workout. It's, <laughs> it's going it's to energize me for the workout. Don't need no pre-workout drink. Yeah. So how was your weekend? It was good. Uh, Friday night, oh, this weekend I watched, uh, I hung at uh, Campbell's Pool uh, downtown and we grilled a little bit, hung there, went out, met a few people for drinks on Saturday, but... Uh, I watched the Bob Lazar Area 51 and Flying Saucers documentary. Okay, bet. After we listened to the oh podcast with Rogan. God. Yes. What's the biggest yes. takeaway? Uh, Anything new, any new insight that we didn't get in the podcast in there that stuck out? I, I think the biggest thing is just you get the visuals that you are able to get. And... Outside of new information, I didn't notice a big change between the two. Like he, he, his story is consistent, and it has been since the '80s. But what I thought was interesting, he first, when he first uh, gave away some of this information, uh, it was he was in a van and it was dark, and he went by Dennis, so mm-hmm. he wasn't trying to really be out there. Uh, and he mentions how. Uh, it's really impacted his his life, and uh, the the director was like, you know, positive or negative. He was mostly negative, if anything, because they 
target the people around him and and they just destroy everything and everyone Mm -hmm. and so for example the company that he interviewed with hey can you just give a quick background for people who have no idea what this is sorry yeah well go check it out because it is awesome (laughs) you should uh let's go down some rabbit holes so bob lazar came out in the 80s he worked at a site called s4 which was about i believe 15 miles south or southwest of area 51 and he was a propulsion scientist so rocket propulsion and even as a young kid like he he put like rockets on bicycles he ended up putting one on a station wagon uh, so like people knew him in the neighborhood by doing that kind of just crazy out there stuff and he went to i think uc somewhere i forget if i don't want to misquote but like mm. uc davis or something like okay. that but then uh went to mit and no one has record of him and so the company that hired him first that was interviewing him like, hey, this is, you're going to be working in a remote location. They didn't say Area 51. They said it'll be a remote location. Uh, you'll be doing more propulsion and things and, and research like that. And uh, he saw it as a pretty big opportunity and took it. And in the documentary, he's like, you think these people just hired me out of high school? Because the colleges have no record of him. So he's basically deleted. Mm. And he's like, I didn't come out of high school and start working at one of the most classified sites in the world. And which is like a good point to make. Like you're not going to hire some 18 year old high school kid. And uh, so he came out in the 80s, kind of exploiting what was going on in Area 51, what he was researching, what he saw, what he experienced, and the foreign crafts that exist, and <laughs> the, and the foreign technology that exists that we don't have the capability to make. Like he saw technology that does not exist. What was he? What was he saying on the podcast? How there was that like disc that so was turning. So it's like a yeah, like a nuclear. So imagine, um, uh, I, I think it's like anti gravity or yeah. antimatter type deal. To where there was a, a sphere, and uh, his. So you work in pairs over there he said and you don't ask questions you don't share thoughts you don't talk to anyone outside of your partner uh we don't know how where when we got what we got and so his partner was like go ahead try to i guess it's like a sphere of like basically energy and matter uh that is used to as like the system of energy for these these crafts and um he said his partner's like yeah try to touch it and he goes to touch it and his hand is repelled so it's like put two norths of magnets towards each other. You're not going to touch them together. And he said it was it was like the same effect. And it's not plugged in anything. Nothing else is powering this energy source. Mm. And uh, so imagine like, you know, kind of like Iron Man technology. Like it does not exist. And uh, so he was explaining this, that there he worked on a foreign craft uh, he explained that the inside of this this craft, there were no right angles. There were no monitors or screens, no control panels, no levers, no controls of any kind. And there would be translucent like doorways too, to where like you'd feel it, like and you kind of see it. Um, everything's more rounded. And he said it was built for maybe a five to five and a half foot being at most. And... Uh, he said the first time he saw a craft 
like this. He kind of rubbed his hand along the outside. He's like, I was reprimanded immediately. And uh, so he was kind of sharing all this information to the public because he saw this as a disservice, a science, a scientific discovery disservice because this technology is, it's incredible. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, you like, I do understand it can also be very dangerous. So I'm sure any other country would think, oh, it'd be safest in our hands. Who knows how we got this stuff? Like, we have no idea. And so he came out with all this, and they tried to debunk him, say he's crazy, which it, it worked. There's still plenty of people that think he's just full of it. And uh, so now, throughout the documentary, you know, you see people like, you know, I don't know if government's really going to do anything, but they just kind of do light touches to let them know that they're still watching, like they're there. And in one of the uh, interviews in the documentary, I believe that was with George Knapp, uh, he said, this is just insurance for me. He's like, if, you know, I'm not here because I really want to share this information, it's gotten to the point where this is insurance. So if, if I'm one day just gone, you have this evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that was probably one of his smartest moves is like, I believe they're trying to get rid of me, what I'm saying. So now this is recorded on tape as insurance. And which is like scary to think about, like your own government that you used to work for. Yeah. But uh, it's it's pretty crazy stuff. And the other thing is like, why would we dig miles and miles and miles underground in the middle of the desert? And over years, they have expanded the restricted area around Area 51 by miles and miles and miles. Like, you're not even close if you think you're close. So what do you have that's that top secretive that no one else in the world can ever know about? And where you're even in it and you still don't know that much. And he talked about the the hand scanner. This was one of the cool visuals. It showed the, the hand scanner that they would use uh, security access to get in. And there were like five, uh, it's going to be hard to describe, but it, imagine just a, a metal, like a rectangle metal sheet, maybe a foot and a half by like six inches or so. And there's five little kind of different pieces that you put your fingertips on. And that was like the very first, like the start of that kind of scan. And they had found pictures of it. So it was cool. You got to see pictures of some of the stuff he was talking about. He's like, the fact that these still exist, which I didn't know existed, is like more proof that I didn't just make this up. And so you get to see uh, the research that goes behind it, the raids that went down in his house. Like he's been raided multiple times by FBI and this agency, that agency. And yeah, so it's, you know, it wasn't explicit, when they brought it up, but some of the uh, matter that was super top secretive, uh, they alluded to like, you know, it's believed that you got some of it out of there without them knowing. Do you think that's why they're coming after you? And Bob's response was, we're not going there. We're not getting into that. <laughs> so it's like, how, how brother ex- might have some top secret materials. Yeah. How extensive was the video footage from the actual place? How much of that was in the documentary? 
None. None. Okay, so it's just mainly the interviews and interviews, just some and, some snippets of like you said the hand scanner. And yeah, the things, things like that. So, okay. uh, yeah, because obviously it'd be tough to get video footage out of there. Right. But you wonder. Yeah, like what? that'd be like the biggest heist of all time ever. Yeah. <laughs> but he in, in the podcast with Joe Rogan, he talked about there was one time that he was ever there where he saw I think it was eight or nine hangar doors open. And each hanger had a different craft. So he only worked on one craft with his partner. But he said there was one time that he saw all the hangers open and all different foreign crafts, different shapes and sizes. And he's like, these did not come from here. And this technology very unlikely came from this galaxy. Hmm. Or like this system. And so it's, uh, it's, it's crazy, man. And there's a patient at work that I talked to and... He talked about uh, uh, this guy named David Adair that I guess he, I, this is my next rabbit hole I'm going down. And I guess he grew up on, on farms. And when he was uh, young, he made a nuclear rocket. So again, that same type of technology. Uh, again, think Iron Man's chest. You know, a nuclear reactor You know, in the palm of your hand, basically. But I guess this came to this kid in a dream. And he created this nuclear missile uh, in the ground. Government caught wind of it, dug him deeper ground so he could keep building. And so I guess uh, someone had told me this story, so I have to, you know, do all this research myself. But I guess uh, the government called, like a general called him once, and it's like a group of a few farms, so they kind of share a landline, like whatever. And they're talking, he's like, wait, who's that? And he goes, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so, we kind of share a line. Government builds his own direct line to the general. Like, they come in, construct telephone lines, all that. And I guess there was a, um, was it a Nazi scientist or a Russian scientist? There was some foreign scientist that allegedly gave him coordinates, like, hey, send that missile here. And that was coordinates to Area 51. Wow. And I guess the scientist was also out to kill him. Because he knew he was going to destroy this technology. He wanted to kill him. And middle of the night one night, this general busts through this kid's door with the scientist by the throat and caught wind. They took him to Area 51. So David Adair, that's my next next uh, rabbit hole. To rabbit go hole. I'm, I'm all in on, on this, man. It's Because uh, like, there's no way we're alone. I truly, truly believe there is no way. There's no way. Why do we have facilities like that? Like... Are we really, like, we have nuclear bombs and all that. Yeah, whoop to do mm-hmm. What are you hiding miles underground with the most high security clearance you could ever have? Yeah. There's definitely a lot that we don't know. Oh, there, I, I think the government has so much stuff that we don't know about. Yeah. There's the so magnitude of it, I don't even think we can fathom. No. Like, think, how, think how much time, like, just over time. I would... I would go nuts if I ever got to go like to Area Fifty One. You can you can raid it on September twentieth. You can else. you can get shot on September twentieth too. <laughs> right, you, rightfully so. Have you seen the simulation of what it would look like if people stormed it? Uh-uh. They made like a simulation of really? people like running across the plane, just getting gunned down. Oh, well, yeah. I gotta show you it. <laughs> yeah, like and people are like, oh, America's full of terrorists now. If they shoot their own, like, look, you shouldn't go through heavily signed areas. That is restricted access um fenced i mean it you know you shouldn't be there it's like if someone walks in your house 
you might shoot them. Mm-hmm. You know, same thing. They don't know if you're a threat. And if it's a mass amount of people, they don't know what the motive is. So it's like, yeah, someone, if, if you try that, likely to be shot. Look, if I was running towards Area 51 like a madman, they should probably shoot me too. <laughs> yeah. Like, smile. Yeah, right. So, um, no, highly recommend. It is very fascinating. Okay, I bet. And, like, yeah, there's a bunch of people out there, like, claim this or that, but, like, people actually that were in it and the fact that schools don't have record of him anymore, uh, I, I think it just adds up in his favor. So... And same story since the 80s. Things don't really change. It's not like he's flip-flopping sides or, or what he saw or experienced. And uh, I don't know. I feel like Joe Rogan would do a lot of homework before having someone on his show like that. Yeah. He really wanted to have him on. Yeah. I remember. So ah, I can't wait to go find out more. Yeah. But super fascinating. I, I highly recommend, especially after we listen to the the uh, podcast. I mm-hmm. was like, I need to check this out. New segment of the show, Alien Talk. Ali- <laughs> alien Talk. <laughs> Aliens and flying saucers. <laughs> but he, so Bob was saying like, look, when people report seeing flying saucers in the desert, he goes, they were probably true reports because we test flew these things. Mm. Like we, we were test flying the, these foreign crafts. So they probably did see actual uh, flying saucers. And in the podcast, he told us when he knew the flight schedule, Wednesday nights, he took a few of his buddies to some lookout that he eventually got in trouble for doing to watch these test flights. And it was his original YouTube video that got famous about with flying saucers uh, over the desert in, in the darkest of night. So, I mean, look, we can fight wars with drones. I think we have a lot of other things that we're not being... Yeah. Told. Which, you know, whatever. I don't need that type of security clearance. That'd be sweet, though. Yeah, it would be. It's like you almost want to become the president just to go check it out. Yeah. Like, find out all you the... You know he has. Find out all the things. Like, all right, first stop. That's where part, are we going? Area 51. That's the that's president orientation right there. <laughs> Day two, Area 51. Syllabus week. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But, uh, yeah, man. But speaking of what's going on in the current atmosphere and world, what do you got for us, Tim? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to talk about the NCAA with their rule changes regarding uh, NBA agents for players coming out of college. So okay. a couple weeks ago, and I have some current events that happened today, actually, Monday. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, the uh, NCAA implemented a rule change that claimed that agents who represent college basketball players or players entering the NBA draft – have to have a bachelor's degree, a four-year bachelor's degree. In addition to the degree, they have to meet certain prerequisites, uh, such as three years of experience as an agent, and they have to complete a background check, and they have to pay a $250 application fee and an annual $1,250 certification fee. So, so, so before this, like anyone could be an agent for an NBA player, yep, pretty much? Yep, and I think the reason why they created it and. People like LeBron spoke out because Rich. There's a man named Rich Paul who okay. is LeBron James's agent. So he was. This guy represents LeBron, uh, Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, Eric Bledsoe, and he's LeBron's lifelong friend. So he knew LeBron growing up. So he kind of had a foot in the door. 
But so this guy, and he never went to college. And this guy, Rich Paul, he rep, he he's part of Clutch Sports, which is LeBron's group with all these players that are signed to it. Okay. Um, but he represents all these guys, and he's pretty much the the rainmaker when it comes to NBA free agency because he represents all these players. He's very successful. He's impacted just the landscape of NBA free agency. So he has he's had such a big influence. And they're saying that they created this rule specifically because of people like Rich Paul. They don't mm-hmm. want people because I get it from the perspective you don't want like your unemployed uncle managing your your money for you. You want to have someone that's like that has experience. But I do also get the the part of it where just like we have people who haven't gone to college running their own businesses and managing people and consulting, like you don't really need a college degree to do that stuff. So it's about like does this transfer to this? And I think it does because, I mean, if you have life experience with something like this and you, you've you learned the tricks of the trade and what it takes, I think, and you've gained credibility, I think you should have the freedom to, to contract with anybody as an agent. And then what's interesting is today the NBA announced that they, they reversed the rule today, Monday. And they, said oh, that, wow. and they said that all you have to do is be approved by the NBA Players Association. So do we know what that approval processes like how, how do they approve someone yay or nay like there's got to be an objective standard right i think it's how it's been before this rule was put into place so people without college degree could be approved mm. so so back to what it was before so just there's no change really yeah so i just thought it was interesting how they made that rule two weeks ago and then people speak out about it and then they just reverse it so I just want to get your opinion on what you think about that. Would you, if you were an NBA player, would you want someone who's who's has an education behind it? Or I think they should have they should have to have some type of certification or some type of approval. Like I think they should. I think this is good what they have it now with the NBA PA. Um, I'm torn on this. Uh, as someone who does something very different than their degree, let alone I still have a degree, but and other certifications in my craft, it's like, yeah, we didn't go to college for um, broadcasting. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to build a a full-blown business around a a podcast. Yeah. So there's that side of me. And and yeah, the, the entrepreneur thing, like, you know, I think about serial entrepreneurs that dropped out of college. I mean, you know, not everyone can drop out of college and become a millionaire. But if I, if I were a player and I just came into that much money, um, I probably wouldn't have one of my friends manage it mm-hmm. just for the sake of, I would want someone who really knows the game cause it's a game. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want my friend to accidentally get got and then some, I somehow land in a terrible deal or lose a lot of money. Or if he's managing and invests in something bad. Look, anyone can make a bad investment, though, too. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm going to play every side of the coin. But if I were, you know, had like a $2 million signing bonus, if I were doing like $10 million a year, I'd want someone experienced that knows what they're doing to mm-hmm. help me. Uh, yeah, I would want someone I can trust. That's where, you know, lifelong friend Uh but I think I would want someone who, who knows the ropes yeah. a little more than just a, a friend who's like, all right, let's try it. Mm-hmm. We got millions. Let's just try it. And if we screw up, we got more money. 
Um, yeah, uh, it's a tough one. But if I were a player, I would just want that. Yeah, but... You- Outside looking in, man, I really have a hard time going full in on either one. I'm pretty split on this. Because yeah, you can have experience but not have a degree, though. Like, yeah. I, th- I think that you as the player, you should have the intelligence to be able to vet out potential agents. Be like, hey, this one has this experience, this one doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I think that rule that was in place, it eliminates so many of the agents who did come up and learn things and, and do, and, and it cuts their, and if they may, they may have experience yeah. and they won't be able to do it again. Or it, or it prevents the people who don't have the resources to get a college degree, mm-hmm. something like that. But I also think of like connections. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you do have prior experience, if you graduated into that field, I mean, if you're just my friend from off the block, trying to manage money no one knows yeah. you you don't know anyone like yeah you got to know some people yeah you know and, and who to know mm-hmm. the right people to know because there's probably other people that do things a little sleazier way and you might learn that way not knowing any better that might get you in trouble down the road legally mm-hmm. now you can say the same for a ceo that didn't graduate from college there could be liability issues that he or she just kind of bypassed unknowingly and it bites them in the ass later. Then you can say, well, if you get to that point, you're going to hire a lawyer. Yeah, okay, sure. So same thing here. But I would want someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. That's just me. Like, look, if you didn't go to college, but you're managing like 15 all-star players, and they are getting good deal after good deal after good deal, and the word on the street is good, yeah, yeah. forget it if you don't have a degree. Like if you know the game and you've you've been doing it and you're like, well, I didn't graduate with a degree in this. Like, okay, fine, but your work shows. Mm-hmm. You produce. You have a track record. Yeah. So, um, God, that's tough. Interesting. They changed it so quickly, though. Mm-hmm. Two weeks. Pretty all it was. So yeah. Mm. I, I bet LeBron said, "Oh no, reverse this," and they did it. <laughs> shout how, shout how, out to Rich Paul. Probably how it goes. But because. NBA's his. Everyone else just lives in it, I guess. Yeah, he's the king for a reason. For a little bit longer. Second to Michael Jordan. <sighs> oh, I'd, for, agree. I'd agree with that. Forever second. To Six and zero in the finals. First, first Space Jam is always going to be better than anything LeBron makes. Just saying. <laughs> Let's see though. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know if I can watch it. I love Michael Jordan. Yeah. It's like Top Gun two. I'm not going to watch Top Gun two. Oh, you'll watch Space Jam two. You think so? You're not going to boycott it. It's not even that. Everyone's it's a boycott. It's just like, you shouldn't make a second. It's just, I don't know. Like Top Gun. You're going to make a second Top Gun? No. It just, you should not do it. Right. We'll see. We'll see how it is. There's a lot of sequels that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> All um, right, bro. What do you got? Uh, so FedEx and Amazon are breaking up. Oh. So FedEx is not going to deliver Amazon packages anymore. Uh, Amazon is delivering a lot via its own drivers yeah. and trucks now too. So they're really trying to monopolize themselves, really trying to have less people to rely on, which as a business, yeah, that's smart too. Um, but it only made up about 1.3% of FedEx's revenue, like the, the shipping uh, packages side, which is about $900 million. Um, but... Amazon business provided as much as up to 10% of UPS's revenue. So they have a little more stake in the game. 
a little more to lose. And so uh, UPS, uh, in their favor, the holiday season is coming up. So Amazon will still need them to get through the quantity that they're about mm-hmm. to about to get. But and so Amazon is look or um, excuse me, FedEx is looking at other companies like Target Corp, like Walmart, bigger companies, more medium sized businesses as well to still partner with. Uh, but I just I think they might have seen the writing on the wall with Amazon. The revenues just over one percent, so I don't know if it was really enough for them to really try to work it to stay in the game. Um, so, do you think FedEx is the one that initiated this, or was it kind of mutual? It wasn't explicit, but it seemed like it seemed like both sides were on board with this. Okay, like, yeah. I wonder uh, how much of uh, Amazon's revenue FedEx was taking. Like on Amazon side, uh, I'm not sure if it had that in there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they started to deliver less uh, because Amazon is doing its own. So I, I I doubt FedEx had. If FedEx was producing that much for them, then they wouldn't let them go. Right. If Amazon can really save that much money by cutting out FedEx, then they're gonna do it. Because mm-hmm. doesn't Amazon also have that? that like franchise program where you can like buy truck. We talked about it on here where you can like mm-hmm. buy trucks mm-hmm. and like have your own delivery business within Amazon. So they do have, they still have that going dude. And like that Amazon distribution center off of uh 71st here in Indianapolis, there are so many Amazon vans in that one parking lot. It's just really? crazy. I don't know if I've been past that one. Yeah. I drive by it sometimes for work, but like, I do see Amazon vans and vehicles though more mm-hmm. more often, so it's like, man. And you have like the there are like white vans that go around too that don't have the Amazon logo on them that are delivering Amazon packages. I think so those are the ones they that say are, free candy on the side. Yeah, <laughs> those are the ones that I think that are operated under their own. So yeah, so I thought this was interesting to to see, like, you know, bigger companies just kind of cutting out other bigger companies. And it, it'll be interesting to see if FedEx can make up that lost business because they might be hopeful on, on some other areas, but you don't know who's already got the in on delivering the bulk of, you know, Target or Walmart's packaging. Uh, but yeah, they, they said they were not going to renew the, the contract and that's, that was as of July, I believe. Mm. So yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're done. They uh they ended it, you know. I hope it wasn't too messy. Uh, I don't know if they'll get back together. I kind of doubt it. I think yeah, one, had, it, one had some trusted. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, they cheated on the other one. But um, I was like, man, that's that's a big name. That's not going to be delivering packages for Amazon. So Amazon must be just hammering their own delivery. Mm-hmm. Must be picking up like wildfire if they're able to to let go of FedEx. But again, UPS is UPS delivers a lot more packages, so it will be uh, interesting to see what happens after the holiday seasons calm down. Uh, but I didn't know if you had heard about this. I know we talk we talk quite a bit of Amazon on here. They're doing uh, a bunch of different things as of late. So uh, I don't know. Do you think this? How heavily will this affect FedEx and or the delivery system in general? 
And do you think Amazon's going to start delivering for other people or no? Um, well, I think FedEx, this was definitely FedEx decision. I feel like they, they, they had a strategy that they wanted to. I don't think it's going to be either good or bad for Amazon. I think Amazon's going to, this isn't going to hurt Amazon. It's not going to help Amazon. I think it was mm-hmm. more of FedEx's strategy because FedEx has a, I'm reading it right here. They have a, like more of a broader e-commerce strategy that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it helping Amazon was just slowing them down with that. Like you said, you hit you hit on the point itself why they did it. It was only one point three percent of the revenue. Yeah. Um, but I think Amazon will figure it out. I think we all know that. Yeah. I, th- I think they were they were just trying to partner and and, and align with their their goals to broaden their their network and because they're all trying to get packages to us faster. Yeah. So I think they're they're just, they sell FedEx as a way like, hey, we have this the distribution outlet we can get it to you quicker, mm-hmm. but we're just gonna have to create some drones to, to get them to you faster now instead of that. So I think it's more FedEx of, does robots. I think it's more of going to help FedEx than it, than it is going to hurt yeah. or help Amazon. So Opportunity cost on other projects. Yeah. So right on. Yeah, but I was like, man, I, wild how, how much Amazon is able to do on their own now. Mm-hmm. Wealthiest man. <laughs> Wealthiest man, Jeff Bezos. I started Ask my, Alexa why they broke up with FedEx. I won't because I unplugged her. Oh, yeah, that's right. I don't want her listening to our conversation. <laughs> well, and I needed to charge my computer. Too. Yeah, I don't, so, I don't blame you. But, yeah, you shh. Don't listen to me. Um, so I also re-listened to uh, our interview with Tim Roberts that we released last Thursday. So I. If, you have, if you haven't checked that one out, that one, we laugh a lot, we have a good time, and he drops some knowledge bombs. Uh, one one thing that really stuck with me though when I heard it again was expect what you tolerate, and within that context in particular, we were talking about management, and there was an example he gave. Uh, a sales manager was like, you know, I don't know how many calls my people are making a day. I don't know what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. And Tim goes, well, expect what you tolerate. So if you don't know anything going on, you don't know what the numbers are, you don't know what the calls are you're tolerating that in the business. And it's not just something that I think is applied to a business setting or business relationships. It's with anything and everything in life. It could be personal too. If you're like, man, I always get treated like such and such. Expect what you tolerate. So tolerate different things, have different standards. You know, Make sure that your personal boxes are, are checked. And if they're not, then... It's time to move on from that friend or relationship or whatever it is. But it was like, man, expect what you tolerate. And now in, in like my, my writing or my daily meditation, I'll be like, what am I tolerating that I shouldn't be? Mm-hmm. And where is it going on, on in life? And I just think that it's such a simple message, but with a lot of weight behind it because it can apply to so many facets of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not getting the results you want you're tolerating what's causing those results exactly you need to change those you need to stop tolerating what you're putting in to get the results that you're not wanting yeah i'm i'm not a father but i i would imagine if your kid is like acting up acting up like what are you tolerating Mm -hmm. and how are you going about trying to fix that too so it's it's just i don't know i really liked it when i heard it again and it's that's why i like to re-listen because Certain things will just stick, and it's like 
I could have a whole discussion on just those four words. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know if, if that also stuck out to you when you went back and listened to it, if you had something else, or if there is something where it's like, man, I do tolerate this way too much. And it's not that I need to be meaner or you know, harsher. It's just I need to tolerate this less because it hurts me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, well, I've got an example for that. And, but I, something I also want to talk about is when he said uh, transparency creates vulnerability. Yes. So like when you're trying to build trust with someone, uh, when you're trying to create a new relationship, the more like transparent you are about your shortcomings, uh, your, your process, everything about you to put the other person at ease, they're going to be more vulnerable in telling you about what they're going through in their life. You can't just like go up and ask someone some, something personal about them and expect you to, to give that back and build trust. You got to right. be transparent yourself on your end about whatever you want to accomplish or what's going on with you. He talked about the initiate step. Yeah. Yeah. Relate like that makes you relatable and it, and it, it puts, puts the other person at ease and more com- comfort to mm-hmm. do that. So that's what I took. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of my daily life that would apply to the other one. Oh, I spend way too much money on groceries, I realize. And it's because I buy groceries every day. I tolerate the fact that I go to the grocery store every day and don't buy ahead of the week and meal prep. Okay, but are you (laughs) buying quality foods that are properly nourishing your body? Yes, but I feel like I could be buying more efficiently Mm. to have better foods in my body. Like, I buy healthy foods, but I'm spending way too much because I go every day gotcha. buy more stuff. Gotcha. And I, I look at my, my expenses for the month, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I, I'm spending way too much money yeah. on groceries, which it's good food, but I can be more efficient. Yeah. But I and, 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 and I tolerate the fact that I go there every day and don't buy efficiently. Mm-hmm. So, I need, so I should expect. What do you run out of all the time that you got to go buy every day? Well, I just... Buy whatever I need to eat for dinner that night. Oh. It's not that I run out of anything. I just buy what I need that day. So because I you, pass the store all the time. What do you buy like in bulks? Like what do you have on hand? That's nothing. I don't bulk? really. I don't really buy anything in bulk. Nothing. Mm-mm. Man, like when I go, I'll just I'll buy this meat, this meat, this meat, these greens, veggies, and I'll just kind of what am I going to cook in the next couple weeks? What What am I going to cook that night? That's yeah. what I do. Yeah. Well, I'll do that too. But that's like, all right, what else yeah. What else do I like? Uh, I think I'm going to start going to Costco more often. Oh, for, you have a membership? Like, bulk meats, yeah. Liam, take me with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go. Dude, so, one thing you realize, Costco, the Kirkland brand under Costco, <laughs> they make golf balls. Oh, Costco has everything. <laughs> People <laughs> tell me Costco clothes are dank. I'm like, what? I had no idea they were in the sports game too. Like, I've had people tell me like the Kirkland... <laughs> brand of certain like i think someone told me the kirkland vodka was better than how like, do they do that more name brand was like better than name brand how do they do that <laughs> i need to do a, i need to do a report on costco because i just <laughs> report on costco. i was playing golf with my friend lance and we were looking for his ball in the long grass and i was like what the hell is a kirkland ball over here he's like that's mine i'm like they make these things and they're actually like quality balls too hmm. they're i mean like i said i've heard they have quality clothes i've never bought clothes from costco the golf balls are nice too so I, had, I was like, what the, 
What is this? The more you know. They're everywhere. Of course, they also, they'll do like, they'll sell Nutri Ninjas and things, and yeah. they got everything. Yeah. I went there once with Patrick and Scoog, my roommates. I was just impre- I was impressed. Such a big place. Such I had my whole lunch with all the samples. It was good. Although, man, those lines can get long, though, too. But there's like 20 of them, so you can go to the ones that's not long. <laughs> or go at a good time. There's not 20. Or go at a good time, Dick. There's not 20 lines. Seemed like it. I don't know what Costco you're going to. You sure it's Costco? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, expect what you tolerate. So I, I just I thought that was a very interesting concept in a lot of ways and wanted to bring that back to back to light. And posted about it again on on the Instagram uh, the other day as well, just because it's yeah, re-promote the episode. But I think that message was just powerful. Yeah, powerful. Like, what are you tolerating, and why are you tolerating it, and what needs to change about it? And it's you know easy to say, but to actually do it because it might require a tough conversation with someone. You never know. So. Yeah, it's. I think I'm going to kind of in my my meditation, like I said, take a step back and evaluate some things. Like, what gets me frustrated easily that maybe shouldn't, and is it because that I'm allowing it to? Yeah. So let me know what you find out. Oh well, yeah. Well, interested enough. We release two episodes a week. We'll find out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for Stay next tuned. Tuesday. What am I tolerating? Toleration uh, talk. To- <laughs> uh, Alien yeah. talk and toleration talk. Be good for categories. Yeah. Toleration talk. Yeah. What you got for uh, some RLEs? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about these three strategies that I've been doing Every weekday morning the past couple weeks that have been very, very effective when it comes to waking up. Because I feel like a lot of people, you wake up tired a lot. Mm. I mean, that's, I mean, it's natural to wake up tired. I tolerate my snooze button. Sorry to interrupt. And everyone is always trying to figure out, hey, how can I be more alert in the morning? How can I get a more smoother start? How can I just feel more awake and positive to get up every day? Because some, I mean, some days there's days that we, we have a lot to look forward to, so it's easy to get up, but... Those long days during the week, like that Tuesday, that Wednesday morning when you're just like, damn. Well, that's when I would ask, what's your nightly ritual like? You know, why are you tired in the morning? Yeah. What are you doing at night? Go to bed earlier. Yeah, that. Are you yeah. watching watching a screen? Are you watching a movie? Something that is high energy. It's really uh, very stimulating for your body. It's mm-hmm. going to make it hard to go to sleep. You're going to be tired in the morning. Do you think you can operate on six hours of sleep, which very few people ever can? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm good on six. Okay, yeah, we'll see. Uh, push it to seven, seven and a half, and see how you feel then. So uh, that's But what I'm... about the people who are at seven or eight hours but still feel tired in the morning? What do you... Well, then I would look at... Then you'd listen to me what I'm about to say. Oh, keep on. I would, look at, I would look at a lot of things, stress levels too. Yeah. Uh, what, what's going on in life? You know, I feel like, man, I went to bed at 10, got up at like 6.30, a lot of sleep. I'm just, I'm not not ready i'm not there um then i would also see like did you have trouble falling asleep is there adrenal fatigue so there's a, there's a lot of things so i don't want to keep interrupting you well yeah real life experience i wasn't feeling stress i was getting a lot of sleep but i still like w- wasn't as awake as what i wanted to so if you're in that boat if you're trying to feel awake in the morning if you're trying to compensate for anything 
the night before. Compensate. Three things. So the towel and cold water method. So Ben Stiller in the book, Tribe of Mentors, says that mornings when he wants to wake up, he dips his head in a bucket of cold water, which I think is a little extreme. So what I've been doing is I have a cup of iced water on my on my chair next to my mm-hmm. bed and I have like a rag, a dry rag that I put next to it. When I wake up, I wet the rag and I wipe my face. Ice cold rag as soon as I wake up. Mm. That gets me energized right away. Gets me filled up. Second thing is water with lemon. Another thing I do is I put a slice of lemon in water overnight. I put it right next to my bed. Ice cold water. I drink that whole entire thing as soon as I wake up. Because what it does is lemons are high in vitamin C. Lemons. They actually contain 187% of your daily value of vitamin C. And when you're sleeping, you're technically dehydrating yourself for 6 to 10 hours, whatever it may be. Lose a few pounds. Yeah. And what vitamin C does is aids in enzyme function and liver detox. And ingesting this as soon as you wake up will hydrate you faster and will instantly provide that extra 187% of your daily value of vitamin C and will make you more positive and give you that energy mental boost that you need right in the morning. Throw a little pink sea salt in there too. Himalayan pink, pink sea, sea salt. salt? Yeah, helps All right. electrolytes. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for the addition. Hey, thank Aubrey Marcus. I got it from his book. Yeah. Um, and then the third one is natural light exposure. Ooh. So this is something that I've been doing as well as I sleep with the blinds open. Which, I'm a heavy sleeper, so I know for some people that may be tough because you want just complete darkness. But being able to fall asleep with the blinds open, this will this may be the biggest th- thing of the three that's probably helped me unexpectedly. Because na- what natural light does is it increases serotonin in your body, immediate access to it. And people call serotonin like your happy chemical. The feel good. Yeah, it's like the neurotransmitter that regulates mood and sleep. And so it's the positive one. It's the one that... High levels of this will give you like a positive mindset, give you awake, um, and and it's also the precursor to melatonin, which winds down and helps you sleep. And melatonin kicks in twelve hours after serotonin kicks in, so mm. that's another thing that they say get that earlier in the day because if you wake up at six or seven, around six or seven p.m. is when you'll start to wind down, which is kind of what you want. Mm-hmm. Most people, most people want, depending on what your schedule is. So. Sure. Those three things I've been doing that have actually been pretty effective. So. Okay. I think I need to start putting my phone on the other side of the room. Okay. Yeah. To, I've prevent, also been going to prevent the screen? Or, oh, to get up to turn off the, the alarm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think, well, I've also been going to bed too late. I've been okay. staying up too late. I've, I've not been on a good routine there. Uh, so I'm trying to improve that because I'm tired of tolerating myself not getting up at the gym early before work. Mm. Uh, I like to get it done first thing. Okay. So uh, I like to watch myself move because I watch a lot of movement. I correct a lot of movement, do a lot of rehab and things throughout the day where I'm more alert. If I get to work out first, I'm in a better mood, not as irritable. Um, just like I get to move, I get to train, and then it's it's done. Mm-hmm. So, And I like the morning too. Got, got my morning crowd at the gym. Got my boy Rich I got to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. So, no, I like that. Good. I think good morning and night routines. I, I think any interview I've listened to with just a high-level um, success, uh, you know, whether it's CEO or athlete, like they have good routines and good habits. 
So I think having a, a really well, uh, so what I'm looking for, just a well-planned nightly and morning routine, I think is, is crucial for high-level success. Because like it's, like the, it's like the small daily things. Like wherever you want to be in five years, it's small daily stuff. So I'm trying to get better at that. But I like, I like the, the towel and cold water. I do like to wake up a little bit. I do, I do push-ups and squats. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. So I'll, do, do, I'll usually break it up into two sets and do like 50 a pop. Okay. And then it's like, all right, I got a little burn, a little warm. If you're cold in the morning, like I'm naturally warm anyway, anyway but you know, winter's coming. So it helps warm you up a little bit, uh, gets, gets that cortisol going. Your cortisol is already highest in the mornings anyway. So I like to let my body do its natural thing, but I like to start with a little movement to get, get my body ready to move mm-hmm. for the day. So, and push-ups and squats work all the body man. I love it yeah so uh, nice man the water with lemon yeah I like a little morning cocktail a little, <laughs> little hydration station hey we'll see you at the water cooler what uh, what you got for some book talk today yeah so I got swim with the sharks again and he said something in there uh, called never give the same speech once which means we live in an information society right now where there is so many things out there, like blog articles, uh, podcasts. Um, and I think how you, like for podcasters like us and for people who are like teaching people information, your ability to like transmit the already, exi- the already existing information that's in like the worldwide database into like intelligent and applicable things for like other people you're teaching is mm-hmm. one of the most valuable skills you can have today. Cause it's, like I said, everything's already out there. You need to learn to be able to transmit that information. And I think the best way to do that is to tell stories about your own life, about other people's lives, and frame it in a way that's like actionable for other people through mm-hmm. stories. Because people, like, people aren't going to be influenced by information unless it hits them on an emotional cord. So it's just one thing to just spit out information to people, like facts. But like to be able to capitalize on that and like say say it in like stories and like that's why we do real life experience now so we can yeah. talk about how we've implemented it right and I think that kind of stuck out to me when I went back and read and like that's something that we can always improve upon and that's something that we have improved upon mm-hmm. and I think it's it's an important thing like how can you take information that's out there and frame it in a way that other people can understand better or impact like, them like better spice it up yeah so yeah. and and I think we do that well with our kind of third rail topics mm-hmm. you know we don't favor a political or religious side i mean i talk about going to church yeah i believe in god so that's a good side to be on Woo-hoo! uh but i i think we we do well in just giving like this is the information that is being given this is also information that is being given somewhere else uh and this is information we've seen being omitted by a lot of people mm-hmm. so until we have all the facts we go off assumption from the news and people that have an agenda. So I think, I think we do well in trying to convey that type of information in a sense of, hey, like, how can we not just talk about it? Mm-hmm. Like, let's, let's really figure out what's going on, but people like to get emotional about it first. You know, it's a, I'm right, you're wrong. And, uh, so I, I like I like this in in the sense of it reminds me I saw a, 
a clip of Gary V. This kid was like, so if I like repost something, is that considered content? Gary V's like, well, what did you add to it? Mm. If you just, you know, put it up, like say, say I repost on Instagram on my story, someone else is like saying or, or something like that, whatever it may be. If I don't add anything else to it, it's plain Jane, it's shitty content because I didn't add my own spin to it. If it's just like, oh, a picture of this, okay, it's just a post, like I'm probably going to keep passing through it. And that's why I've been trying to add more when I repost about our podcast is adding my own touches to it. Maybe mm. I add a few extra words. Maybe I add a sentence describing something. Maybe I entice something differently. Maybe I say something that's like, ooh, that sounds that sounds juicy. Like, to what, draw people what's in. that? Yeah. Uh, and not even that, but just like to add some flair to it of like, I make it mine. So if like Jay Shetty has a good quote and I'm like, I just slap it up, it's not really content. It might be an awesome phrase or what or whatnot or video, but if I don't add anything else to it, it's not really that great of content because mm -hmm. I didn't do it in the first place. So if I'm gonna go that route i need to add things so uh, i think about it similarly to how can you convey it or mm -hmm. if it's like if you do like that say it in another way that if someone doesn't understand what you're getting at you can say think of it this way yeah and you just added something to it yeah how can both you and i win by digesting this bible like yeah how can i make you understand and yeah. how, how can i make you enjoy listening to this yeah so, which is, that's a challenge. And that's where we have to be good enough to make the audience forget that they're listening to a show where it's just, I'm in the conversation. Mm -hmm. I get it. Like, to your point, I'm emotionally invested in this. Yeah. Now I'm in. Yeah. So, and that's, that's tricky. Mm -hmm. And I think we're improving on that. I think we have a long way to go, but like, you know, someone like Brendan King, you forget that you're listening to his play-by-play -play because you have the picture in your mind. That's his job. Or Joe Gentry. We just talked to him too. And he's like, I need to paint the picture. If I'm not painting a good enough picture, you're not going to listen. Then you're going to be like, oh, I'm just listening to the radio. No, you're watching the game through, yeah. the, through your ears. Through your ears. There we go. Ours. Ours, ours. Ours, ours. How now, brown cow? Uh, so, man, swim with the sharks. One thing I probably won't do but good book. <laughs> good book. I uh, I had I had a couple shorties from Don't Sweat the Small Stuff I wanted uh, to revisit. Um, sorry, were you done? Oh, I'm done. Uh, done Matt. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, one, uh, so this one, in a sense, is basically Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. But turn your melodrama into a mellow drama. So your M-E-L-O drama... Turn that into an M-E-L-L-O-W drama. Okay. So again, life your life is not an emergency. Like, it's not a drama series. You're not the one with the biggest problems, and you're not the only one with problems. And I know, hard to believe. If you're listening like, no, no one deals with as much shit as I do. No one goes through with what I have to. You're probably right. No one probably goes through what you go through because only you're going to go through it. But you're not the only one with problems. Look, there, there's people in the world that are near death every day because they don't have enough food and water. Mm. Uh, there's you know, people 
uh, this guy, uh, you've probably seen him on Instagram, uh, super motivational guy, Nick, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Nick Santanastasano. He's got one arm and like one finger on that arm. That mm. very rare disease. He's got no legs. he got one arm, wow. one finger. Uh, he's, I think, gotten a pro card in bodybuilding. I saw a recent video of him wake surfing. Uh, and, and it's like, you know, he doesn't see himself as having problems. And it's like, oh, this happened or that happened. This small melodrama, like, your life's not the emergency. Like, it's cool it. Okay, there's a lot bigger fish to fry. Mm-hmm. For example, last Thursday, when we got that real bad storm that came through, there was also a semi-truck on fire on 465 that I had heard was causing all the traffic. Benford was a parking lot. I was like, man, this is frustrating. It took me an hour to get from work to get home. I detoured even with that. took an hour. And then I go down my block. I tried to get a closer parking spot to the house. Didn't see one. I was going to go around the block. I couldn't because on the next street over behind my house, there was a tree that was split in half, fell over the top of a car, was blocking the entire road. And wow. Like, and I'm like, well, I'm having a pretty good Thursday. Yeah, you could be those people. Having a pretty good Thursday. Someone always has it worse. You know, and it's like, it's not a drama series. Uh, I did it recently. Like, I have a leak in a tire. I have a small dent. Like, there's worse shit. I still have a truck. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's just, you don't need all the melodramas because you're going you're gonna to kill yourself literally because you're going to be high stress, high cortisol all the time because your life is just an emergency. Getting shot and going to the hospital, that's an emergency. You know, getting attacked by a shark, that's an emergency. So it, it's always nice to just, and I feel like he might have put similar but differently worded chapters just like that where it's saying don't sweat the small stuff. But I think he might have put small ones in there just as hints every so often. Right. Just like a, a regular reminder of like, Are hey. Are you transmitting the information in yeah, a different like, way? It's not an emergency. Turn it into a mellow drama. Yeah. Let, let's, let's cool the jets here. Yeah, I like uh, that. And the other one was uh, read articles and books with entirely different points of view from your own and try to learn something. Mm. And I, I thought this was huge because everyone, including us, can be better at this. And especially in times that we live in now. People need to read and listen to things that they don't agree with because everything that we all listen to and read and watch, it supports our own opinions and narratives. Mm -hmm. We're not challenging our own selves here. And when we do, uh, we become more interesting, more philosophical, and you'll begin to sense the logic in other points of view. Yeah. It's like, okay. People will enjoy talking to you more. Ex- exactly. Exactly. People will love to talk to you. That's mm-hmm. why, like, if, you know, I've had good conversations with good friends who are complete opposite of views in a bunch of different um, areas uh, throughout the world in life that, like, I understand why they might think one way. But then if I ask enough questions, like, then they understand that, you know, someone else's point of view or this thought or, or that action isn't as bad as, you know, someone else or something else made it seem to be mm. because they listened to something that was against their own point of view. And uh, one thing he said, like, you know, 
we all listen to, it, it validates our points of view and opinions uh, and the stubbornness it takes to avoid outside influence causes a lot of internal stress. Mm. So being so stubborn to where you won't open your mind to other outlooks will stress you out even further. So mix that with your whole life's an emergency. No one's ever dealt with what you have, yada, yada, yada. You know, the list goes on. Let's play the victimhood mentality card. But uh, so yeah, challenge your own points of view, which it's tough. It's tough. But, uh, you know, I don't agree with everything Bernie Sanders says. So I'm going to listen to his episode with Joe Rogan. Very mm. intrigued. Yeah, very I kind of listened to that one too. And and I, I hope uh, Joe does a good job of like getting deep thought of like, why do you think that's a good idea? How is that not going to hurt? Or how is that going to help? And how are people not seeing what you see? See, I, I'm interested because I might disagree on some things, but I want to know why he's thinking the way he's thinking. I want to understand uh, why he's doing things I don't understand. Hmm. And it will either, here's what it'll do. It'll change my mind or it'll make my stance stronger because I listen to the opposition and the logic behind it. And if I don't agree, I still don't agree. Yeah. That's fine. I like what you said. Either make your stance stronger or you'll agree. That's all it's going to do. If you read, one of two things. talk, watch things against what you already think, it will do one of those two things. Let's go. It has to. I you, like that. You have no other option. Make your stance stronger or change your mind good way of looking at it and then you might look if you want to use it to well maybe you'll have better discussion with other people that have that same point of view then you can be like okay i understand that because what do you think this this and this like oh yeah yeah all right let me ask you something so it'll just make a as you said more interesting to talk to because you understand more you have more knowledge base and you understand different logics so yeah tough to do but strong when you can yeah It'll serve you right and make you more well-rounded of a person. 100%. It's so, good. Yeah. People want to talk to you. People like to be talked to. Of course. Most people. Yeah, most. Most people. <laughs> All right, brother. You got anything else for this fine Tuesday? I think I'm good, man. Wait, what is it? It's Taco Tuesday. <laughs> After I hit it on Space Jam too, but LeBron started the Taco Tuesday movement. Yeah. It's so. lit. I don't, I don't hate LeBron. But that's a fun one. I just don't. He's think... not the one that created that, though. People need to quit acting like he actually created Taco Tuesday. That's been around forever. Well, he started the voice. Yeah, that he, voice. He started that, yeah. and that's... the Bron voice. Look, he took some original content, added his own spice to it. It is now his content. He literally did that. Yep. It is right. now his content. All right, got to hand it to him. I still think there shouldn't be a Space Jam too. But I like the Taco Tuesday. Yep. And on that note, have a phenomenal Tuesday, everyone. Go get yourself some tacos. Until next time.